Hey there, this is Jan Adkins, the Explainer General for the Nonfiction Minute Podcast. And today's podcast is delicious. Well, it's about your belly, and who doesn't like to eat? Our first appetizer is by Jim Whiting. It's called Hard Crackers for Hard Times. It's about the stuff that Civil War soldiers ate and ate and ate and ate. Hi, I'm Jim Whiting, and this is Hard Crackers in Hard Times. During the Civil War, soldiers loved to eat and to sing. One of their favorite songs was about food they hated. Hardtack, come again no more. It was a parody of composer Stephen Foster's popular 1854 tune, Hard Times Come Again No More. Hardtack was a thick cracker that formed the men's basic ration. Nearly every soldier received nine or ten every day. Hardtack lived up to the hard part of its name. Soldiers often had trouble crunching the rock-like crackers and gave them nicknames such as teeth dullers, sheet iron crackers, jawbreakers, and so on. According to a popular joke, a soldier bit into a piece of hardtack. I found something soft, he told his comrades. What is it? they asked. <laughs> a nail, he replied. To make hardtack easier to eat, soldiers often bashed the crackers with the butt end of their rifles. They scooped up the crumbs and mixed them with bacon grease and salt pork to make a kind of mush called skilly-galley. Hardtack had another nickname, worm castles. Worms frequently burrowed into the crackers. To get rid of those little wrigglers, soldiers dunked the crackers in hot coffee. The hardtack fell apart and the worms floated to the surface. Sometimes the men had contests to see whose hardtack had the most worms. Reportedly, the record was 30 field. Second, hardtack hardly ever spoiled. In 1898, U.S. Navy sailors in the Spanish-American War chowed down on hardtack baked more than 30 years earlier during the Civil War. Third, the crackers didn't weigh very much. Soldiers could carry enough hardtack in their backpacks to eat for several days. Soldiers joked that they could stitch together enough crackers to make a bulletproof vest, though it's doubtful that anyone ever did. Maybe they should have. In 2010, college students performed an experiment by firing pistol shots into chunks of hardtack. They were astonished to find that the crackers stopped the bullets. Our next subject is disgusting. It's revolting. I wish I'd never read it. I think you'll like it. It's about the sauce that ancient Romans put on nearly everything they ate. Roman ketchup, if you will, and it's called Something's Rotten in Rome. And it's by our dear Sarah Albee. Something's Rotten in Rome. By Sarah Albee. Do you like ketchup? Maybe relish is your favorite condiment. Well, people in the ancient world had a favorite condiment too. It was called garum. The ancient Greeks couldn't get enough of it. Later, the Byzantines loved it too. 
But garum was most popular during ancient Roman times. The Roman Empire lasted from 27 BC to AD 476, so they must have gobbled down a lot of garum. The problem with garum was that making it could be an extremely stinky process. Garum makers were told to move their factories to the outskirts of the city, although probably no one enforced this. The Romans dumped garum onto practically everything they ate. Should you be curious to try garum yourself, I've written out the recipe for you. You're welcome. First, collect the heads, tails, intestines, and other guts of whatever fish you have on hand. You can use anchovies, mackerel, sardines, or combinations of fish. If you can find fish blood, dump that in too. Salt the mixture heavily. Layer the salted fish guts in a large amphora. That's a big jug with two handles. Leave it out in the sun until the fish rot, ferment, putrefy, and liquefy. This process might take a few months. Stir occasionally. Pour off the liquid that forms at the top. That's the garum. Garum is actually quite nutritious, full of amino acids, proteins, and vitamin D from all that time in the sun. And the rotten sludge left at the bottom is also highly nutritious, so you can save that for another use. Try spreading it on toast. The last subject asks the question, how hot are hot peppers? Hoo-wee! They can be plenty hot. According to our Julia Childs of hands-on science, Vicki Cobb, in this case, teeth and tongue on science as well. It's called Some Painful Truth. Some Painful Truth by Vicki Cobb. That's me. How well do you handle spicy food? Do you find food with a kick eye-watering and difficult to swallow? Or are you a real fire eater? Nothing can be too hot. A scientist named Wilbur Scoville figured out how to rank spicy food for hotness in 1912. The heat from peppers comes from a chemical called capsaicin. Pure capsaicin registers 16 million heat units on the Scoville scale. Zero is a sweet green, red, or yellow pepper. A fresh green jalapeno is rated 2,500 to 8,000 units, a lot less than pure capsaicin. The fact is that you don't taste the heat. The sensation of heat comes from nerve endings in your tongue that respond to pain. Of course, these nerve endings are not just in your tongue. They are all over your body. So a good scientific question is, can you taste hot sauce with, say, your wrist? Check it out. Rub the inside of your wrist with a cut jalapeno pepper or some hot sauce. Wait a few minutes. Feel the burn? Rinse off your wrist well with cool water. Your tongue, of course, is much more sensitive than your wrist to many chemicals because it is always wet. Capsaicin, like a lot of other chemicals, dissolves in water and reaches those nerve endings more quickly.
Another liquid that triggers your pain nerves in your tongue is soda. The carbon dioxide in the bubbles reacts with an enzyme in your mouth to form a weak chemical called carbonic acid. This acid fires the pain nerve endings in your tongue, giving soda its bite. How well can you tolerate this pain? Stick your tongue into a freshly opened glass of soda and hold it there. See how long you can keep it in the drink. One minute? Two minutes? Most people can't last a minute, but maybe you're tougher than that. Some Mexican parents give their kids mixtures of sugar and red chili powder when they're little to build up their tolerance for spicy foods. Do you think that people who love spicy food could also be champions at keeping their tongues immersed in soda? Design an experiment to find out at your next party. Well, that about wraps it up for today's podcast. I expect we'll see you here for our next podcast when we'll be looking at the flabbergastingly fascinating real world. This is Jan Atkins, the Explainer General for the Nonfiction Minute.